Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 56 and yes, three hours of previous podcasting wasn't enough in the third and presumably final part of our coverage of the original version of Resident Evil 4, we'll be heading back into the Pueblo to take on the game's bonus modes. My name is Sai and joining me on the panel this week, it's all fun and games hanging out at the pier until you spot a seven foot lad with a chainsaw, it's fire button Steve Valance. Hi everybody. Your secret assignment, should you choose to accept it, is to argue with Americans over the definition of the word biscuit. It's Moist Owler aka James. I am right. <laughs> we recorded this podcast without him and it didn't make much sense, so we're re-releasing it with his contribution to give it further context. From Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Sugru. Hello folks. Every episode of First Aid Break is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Break going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash FASpraypod for a full list and a chance to create bonus First Aid Break content. Starting off with some housekeeping, thank you to our latest patron. Thank you to, and I'm probably going to pronounce this terribly wrong and I apologise, Kyle Mar? Thank you to Kyle from the Discord server. Uh, It's a fantastic case of joining the patron and also supplying the voice at the same time so you'll be hearing kyle as the voice of uh luis throughout this episode uh for patrons we recently dropped a new episode of now that's what i call survival horror which is exclusive for a little bit longer all about resident evil 3's 2020 reimagining where i talked about the soundtrack and picked out my top 10 picks for that so you can go check that out at patreon as always that show and a lot of the stuff we do comes early to our patrons uh, in the meantime, over publicly speaking, we have the Code Veronica episode of the same show just went out on podcast feeds. If you missed that previously on our YouTube, uh, you can now hear it for the first time on podcast feeds or, or you know revisit it if you like. So check the feed for that. Just dropped. And over on YouTube, uh, we dropped the new episode of Tear Death Experience where we ranked the save room themes of the series, which was a very successful episode and everyone wanted to hear us kind of dig into that and it's gone down very well so we appreciate that and we also did a editorial video it's been a while uh, but choji wrote the script for the unique controllers of resident evil as presented by myself it's just kind of like a short goofy little piece Uh, but yeah it was a lot of fun and always nice to kind of like mix it up and talk about unexpected things like chainsaw controllers Uh, but that's us let's move ahead to the biohazard news Our first piece of news. Longtime Resident Evil programmer and producer Hiroyuki Kobayashi has departed Capcom to work for NetEase. <laughs> I, I already know NetEase are meant to be some kind of like company based around mobile games. Is that right? That's I've got that. things to say. Yeah, I was going to say, James, you know more about NetEase than I think rest of us. Yeah, so NetEase are who... They, they made a lot of mobile games, but the biggest game that they've made is Diablo Immortal. Mm. And Diablo Immortal just made a record-breaking $100 million like, dollar uh, budget. Like, they broke it. Sorry, budget. They broke, like, records. Um, oh, right. Wow. And thing is, and, guys, it's not a good game. 
um, mm. you know, so it's like wild uh, that this is this is happening. It's kind of weird, like it's kind of wild that they've gone to Netties. Um, I don't know what is planned, but I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't blame Netties. I would blame. I would blame Blizzard. So I mean, we sh- I shouldn't be too. <laughs> That's uh, fair. You know, I, sh- I should be because oh, clearly Blizzard have just outsourced you know two Netties to do this, mm. right? And and etc. But yeah. Uh, yeah, unexpected, I think. I should. So I will blame them for having a terrible name. Uh, because every time somebody says it out loud, it makes me think of those things you pour in your nose. <laughs> yeah. Netties. It's spelled N-E-T-E-A-S-E games, by the way. Um, yeah, Kobayashi, I don't know, maybe it just felt like it was time for him to move on. He's been with Capcom for a very long time. I think his earliest credit is the original Resident Evil. He was a programmer on the first two games and he's worked on the you know, Dino Crisis series. Um, he's appeared throughout Resident Evil's history. Uh, most noticeably, people will remember him as a big name when it came to the CGI movies in particular. That was something where his name came up a lot. Uh, he was, you know, cards on the table. He's the big Leon fanboy, I suppose. is the reason why... Uh, he was the guy that was pushing for Leon to be kind of like the head of the series, or at least of the CGI realm. So I suppose it's going to be interesting to see what happens now that he's departed Capcom. Steve, what do you make of this? Uh, I'm right in thinking this is the fellow who also had a big hand in the way RE6 shook, uh, shook out, or am I going... He definitely is credited uh, for working on RE6, although I'm not quite sure what capacity. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I believe you're correct. I feel like he was certainly prominent. I mean, whatever the case, you know, I wish a person well, you know, in their new endeavours. Our misgivings about the company aside, they've uh, had a hand in the franchise since its inception. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's to be applauded. And I wish them well in their, well in their career and all that. But also, yeah, is a bit grim. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> literally, it's literally a case of congratulations, but also uh, good luck. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Jordan, any thoughts on, on this one? Uh, only that whenever you hear of appointments happening where uh, you you have people from what you kind of consider sort of traditional video game industry companies moving to, you know, largely mobile-driven mm. companies, uh, it kind of feels like a big black hole, really. Um, there's been some big names that have went into mobile and you, you just don't necessarily hear about them as much. It's like they could well be doing very successfully. But, uh, I mean, the mobile market... It's a bit. It's a bit hard to read if you if you largely sort of uh, dwell within traditional sort of video game sphere of of, of consoles and PC and just traditional yeah. sort of development and that. Um, so it kind of feels like well, this might be the last time that we kind of hear about this. Um, you know, a particular individual for a while because I don't know. It's it's hard to necessarily get the kind of news uh, that you would or or understand exactly their involvement in things like you would um, with game development and all things that are sort of associated around that. Um, I mean, I remember the sort of infamous appointment of uh, Don Matrick, um, mm. who's like one of the previous heads at Microsoft that then went to Zynga. And God knows where he went. I Honestly, that's that sort of like, that's sort of mm. the end of the story. So clearly, obviously, it's an industry that is lucrative enough that even though you appear to sort of fall off the face of the earth, you still obviously have a very good job. Maybe even more lucrative than you were having before. I really don't know uh, beyond that. It's uh, just something that seems a bit alien compared to sort of the rest of the industry, even though it shouldn't be. 
And, um, I mean, obviously, if, if NetEase has a certain notoriety, then I guess it's a bit more uh, visible um, than it used to be. But as far as I'm concerned, it, it is kind of like they're just sort of, you know, dropping off a cliff in terms of sort of a relevancy there, because I'm not going to know what they're working on or what's happening with them, because that's just not a sphere that I really look at. Mm. Uh, it's So, one thing that uh, is interesting about mobile games is mobile games have more viewers and they make more money, the say viewers, what users, than both, like, when, than all consoles combined and PC. Like, they, it's a huge market, which is Absolutely. why, like, these, these folks go into, yeah, because, like, people are on their commute, they pick out their phone, they want to play a little bit of whatever, right, and they, they pick it up, and it's, it's, and I was just thinking about it, like, it's kind of like, it's in a way, it's kind of like what, like, Hollywood has done to, like, independent film and stuff, it's like, because you just dip into there, and then you disappear, like you said, Jordan, into this black hole, and then you're never seen again. <laughs> like it's 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 kind of it's kind of wild because yeah we will never know what they worked on we won't I don't know any big names in mobile other than companies and yeah. what they've done not you particular know, personnel yeah and I've not yeah, necessarily heard of stories of people coming back from mobile development to go work in right uh, the, you know the sort of main games industry it's like some you know, body snatchers situation like you know they lose their fame and their popularity they just make loads of money and disappear into the darkness it's like a, <laughs> it's like a weird sideways version of the grey havens you know everyone goes in a boat and they go off to do mobile development <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's goodness. interesting like getting closer to home with the capcom thing you know it wasn't all that long ago that peter fabiano uh, finally left the company. So, you know, we've had a couple of these sort of high-profile, high I suppose, departures from the company. So, that, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's best not to read into that too much because Capcom are obviously in a good place. They're hitting really good sales numbers in a lot of, in a lot of their franchises. So, I don't know. Hopefully, it's not I, a culture thing, but... I tell you, I tell you what. Like, it's getting pretty... It's getting pretty wild with mobiles right now. I know I said wild a lot, but... Mobile phones are like they surpass a switch, like the most recent mobile phones in terms of processing mm. power, right? So, I mean, looking on like the good side of it, maybe they're working on doing like remakes for phones, actual proper ones, you know, who or they're working on something that's a little bit more than, um, you know, cash grabs and loot boxes and mm. you know, energy. We can but, pray. I mean, that's the worst yeah, part, I mean, about it, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know, but it's just it's, it. It feels it feels like a loss. I don't know what mm. anyone else feels. It feels like a loss. Mm. In lighter, happier news, Capcom at one point wanted Resident Evil Seven to be a live service game with microtransactions. I'm confused by light and happy. That's terrible. Uh, uh, it was disturbing. stopped from being. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah, that, that is the light and happy. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, on the official Biohazard YouTube channel, obviously uh, in Japanese, there was a video put out recently with uh, Shinji Mikami and Jun Takuchi uh, just talking about you know Resident Evil in general, I guess, and bits and pieces and tidbits have come out and been translated into English, and this has recently started doing the rounds. Um, so I am going to quickly just mention a few uh, choice bits from that particular bit that C's referring to. Um, Basically, they were told to make this and make that from Capcom heads. It was really hard on the directors at the time. Online multiplayer this, downloadable content that, ongoing service games, microtransactions, make a Resident Evil game that ticks all those boxes. 
Seriously, there were so many demands that those poor directors, finally our president stepped in. He'd heard about all the unsuccessful attempts at that point, so this is one of those unforgettable moments for me. On January 4th, the first working day of the new year, the president called me into his office. Resident Evil 7 is in pretty bad shape, so Kuchikun, step in and help make it. So that's how I ended up working on Resident Evil 7. Um, and then he goes on to kind of explain, kind of narrowing down what they wanted Resident Evil 7 to be and how that was kind of a hard sell to the company because it was a single-player horror experience. You know, the game that we all have come to know and a lot of us come to love. Uh, I don't know if I'm particularly shocked by this, because, of course, Resident Evil 6 was a thing, and then immediately after it came out, it did pretty well, sales-wise. It always has. I think Capcom probably rolled right into thinking about what's next. So a logical thing would just be to continue Resident Evil 6, and then the reviews came out, uh, and everything's kind of changed since then. So I'm, I don't think I'm overly surprised, but yeah, I guess thankful is certainly the word. Uh, Jordan, any thoughts on this? Well, I think it just goes to show that no matter how perfect a project is on the surface, how it just seems like all the stars aligned from the get-go, there's always going to be some kind of backstory about how it mm. very narrowly turned out to be something entirely different and far worse. Um, obviously, it is great to learn of the fact that this never happened and all the right people made the right moves uh, to make sure that it stuck to its you know, primary goal, which was to, you know, go back to horror and go back to horror in a big way. And yeah, as you say, you know, whether you uh, prefer sort of Resident Evil 7 or not, the fact of the matter is that it was a major success and it's sort of been sort of one of those standard bearers of a period of success for the series over the last few years, which um, it, it's kind of, it's hard not to compare it to very much the heyday of the 90s. There's just, mm. we're getting hit with, you know, non-stop great survival horror and action horror. And, um, yeah, we're seeing some of the best years of the of the franchise. And uh, if you look at those kind of incidents where uh, there was a fork in the road where they were going to go down a live service model, wow, I... I struggle to think where it would come back mm. from that, really. Because that, mm. like, you could probably recover to, to a certain extent from Resident Evil 6, you know, which was, a, you know, a bit silly and had lost its way a bit, but was still otherwise sort of salvageable and sold well. Uh, if you'd done the same thing with 7, and obviously if you'd went in down that route of, you know, really getting into loot box stuff and microtransactions and all this live service stuff, which can work, but really doesn't seem to suit what Resident Evil 7 has now become, uh, you you could just really risk derailing the whole franchise. So, it's nice to hear this story, especially after the fact, and we're not just, like, sweating about it back in 2016, <laughs> 2017 oh or so. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, just it just goes to show, because when we all saw Biohazard, as it's known, and Resident Evil 7 show up, it, it really did feel like, wow, what has just fallen into our lap? This mm. this feels fantastic. Um it's fresh and new, yet it's sort of reaching into all of the old hallmarks that we love so much about the series. And you just think that it was conceived like that from the get-go. So um, it, it gives a fascinating sort of peer into what the culture is or has been at Capcom and how it can be a bit sporadic. And yet, despite all that, we still end up getting some uh, you know, thrilling experience in the last few years. And uh, yeah, it's all thanks to the people who obviously step in and make those big calls. Mm. 
it's uh it's one of those things where I've thought about it a lot, like how does that even come to be? How do we go? And obviously we know why, but to be in the room, to be the fly on the wall, the, the fly that can understand Japanese, I guess, um, and hear those conversations take place in Capcom about, okay, what do we need to do? Because Resident Evil is in such a weird place. As you say, the fork in the road, where they absolutely could have just kept pursuing the action element and stuff like that. Um, and you know how he went a completely opposite way with Resident Evil 7 it it does feel like that fork in the road is almost like the darkest timeline now that we've avoided the possibility and hopefully uh, that won't come back around Resident Evil is a live service with microtransactions I don't it's not it's not really it doesn't really feel right at least not in a main series kind of fashion anyway Uh, James what's your take on this one maybe that's why they left <laughs> They're like, no, you didn't listen to me and my microtransaction ideas. I'm leaving and going to NetEase yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll show you. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, as someone who has dealt, you know, deals with a lot of like behind the the screen stuff with like more deeds and things and like going through. It's on a much smaller scale, but. I'm constantly changing things, and I look at things the next day and go, "No, that's stupid. Do another, do something else." You know, and that's me talking to myself. So I can't imagine like a whole group of people where you have to do it. Uh, with, um, you know, it must be, it must, it, it must get chaotic, especially with how chaotic uh, the res- at at that point the Resident mm. Evil um, canon was and the lore and everything, and where games were going after RE6 as well. Um, I feel like, I feel like the Revelation games probably helped them here. Um, like, well, especially Revelations 2 kind of helped them, like, in a direction to go. Um, I mean, I might be, you know, I'm probably speaking, you know, I'm speaking out my butt, but, like, it, I, I feel like they took some things from that game and put it into RE7, but, mm. yeah. The, I'm glad we didn't get microtransactions. <laughs> that would have, <laughs> yeah, we'd, I think, I think a lot of people would have just dipped I'm trying um, to I'm trying to figure out how you how you put them in RE7 in the first place. It has to be a vastly different game, wouldn't it? You yeah, can... I mean, I, what I think what you'd have to imagine is a sequel to Resident Evil Six rather than the Resident Evil Seven we got. Yeah, or yeah. Or, or it's Resident Evil Seven, but like the doll finger puzzle is like DLC <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> Buy the answer to this puzzle for. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <God. laughs> now I, I, we'll, we'll probably save this for a discussion another time. But it, it, it is frustrating sometimes being a Resident Evil fan because the brand is so vast and so weird and wired and tapped out. And fans are like, we, we, they, they can bang on all day about we want this, we want that, and then Capcom go, well, we've got this instead. Will you try that? And sometimes that's great. Like we get a Revelations game, and then sometimes it's Umbrella Core. <laughs> And I can't help but feel we dodged the biggest version of Umbrella Core ever in this particular case. <laughs> oh, God. Like, um, chasing the eSports dream with that uh, and then trying to ch- trace... A- I, don't, I, 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 I just can't see how you turn Resident Evil into a live service short of uh, the elephant in the room is big. It's got Outbreak written on it. And I, I don't want to have to ring that bell right now because it means me and Sai have to have an argument. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that day is coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's close up the news and move on to the main subject for this podcast, which is yet more Resident Evil Four. Rated M for mature. 
U.S. Agent Leon Kennedy is on a search and rescue mission. What he finds is pure evil. The award-winning must-have action title of 2005 is now a PlayStation 2 event. With new weapons and an additional storyline featuring the mysterious Ada Wong. Evil has evolved. Resident Evil 4 for the PlayStation 2, only from Capcom. Previously, with um, episodes focused on games, we have had follow-ups talking about DLC, Resident Evil 2 Remake. We did our Ghost Survivors episode. We've done Resident Evil 7. We also had banned footage. Uh, so when we covered Resident Evil 4 a little while ago, it made sense to focus on the campaign and save the bonus modes for another day. Uh, today is that day. This is, you know, in an era before downloadable content, but it is, you know, the additional materials. So it made sense to give them uh, their own breathing room. Before we get into... All of those modes there. We're going to take a slight detour because I suppose in a sense, knock on wood, as we sort of alluded to at the beginning of the episode, we talked about Resident Evil 4 a lot already. Uh, I imagine this is the last time we're going to talk about the original game for a while because the remake is not all that far away at this point. Um, so we are going to talk about the original game one last time. We're going to be looking first on this slightly... Maybe nod back to bite-sized discussion. Who remembers that? Um, look at the fan-made Resident Evil 4 HD project before we get into the new modes. Uh, this has been something that's a long time coming. Uh, you know, if you follow the Resident Evil social media sphere, you will have seen this. But in short, it says, well, you know, it does what it says on the tin. Uh, a few fans sort of getting into... I think they generally were kind of displeased by Capcom's own output of Resident Evil 4 HD and some of the low quality of the textures and really digging into that game um, and brushing some of those things up. And the Resident Evil 4 HD mod is completely available. Capcom seemed to be completely unfazed by it, which is nice because it's been in the public eye for a while now. Uh, you can check it out at re4hd.com. It does require the Steam version of Resident Evil 4, but other than that, it's just a quick install. Uh, Jordan, you're the one who sort of brought this as, a, as an idea to talk about this, and absolutely happy to do so. So I've seen on Twitter that you've been having a bit of an experience with it. How have you found it so far? Absolutely. I mean, I've been looking forward to this project, sort of getting our spotlight, really, finding mm. some kind of avenue for us to sort of talk about it, because... It has been around for a, a long time. While it is now officially sort of releasing its its release this year, um, you know, as a complete package, it it this date dates back so far. Yeah. Um, I have been fascinated with this project for years. I mean, this might have actually have been an idea as far back as when I was even still sort of like in uni I was hearing about this, maybe even college. Like it it's been around for a long time. It's been that sort of that that myth, that rumor back in sort of like the early 2010s that, you know, there are a couple of folks that were actually working on a HD uh, project for this that was going to go beyond most HD projects because they were going to resource just about every single texture. And that is extensive for a game like Resident Evil 4. This is not a small game. And mm -hmm. the, the amount of work that they've put in has obviously been uh, stellar. And... After installing it recently, um, it is as fantastic as I was hoping it would be. 
Uh, I mean, you you can't go five paces without sort of new details sort of popping out to you. They just make you stop and just sort of pour over it. Because mm. uh, there's just... Uh, uh, even... Even roof tiles. I was just fascinated by roof tiles for a while. <laughs> just walking on all the roofs, and it's just like, look at it. Like the the amount of sort of like definitions sort of shape to them now. Um, it takes a game that always looked fantastic, and it just sort of accentuates all of that. Um, it really does justice to it. Uh, there are just there's so many tweaks and additions that go beyond texture swaps that it's the best quality of life update the game's ever had. So. You know, I've often felt like I've been sort of chasing the high of when I first saw Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube through a, you know, a tube television, a CRT. That felt like sort of a gold standard for a long time. It kind of it almost felt like elusive, that you were never going to be able to capture that high. But mm. I can honestly say that this is the release that is worthy enough to surpass it. And it hasn't come officially from Capcom. I'm glad that Capcom have been encouraging in as best they can be in not trying to shut this down. And in fact, I think they've even amplified it to a certain extent. And that's major because there are projects like this all over the sphere now. There there mm-hmm. are some really radical HD projects that are going on now that are going as far back as like the N64 and the SNES and changing games in ways that you couldn't even imagine. And... I think a lot of them have the RE4 HD project to thank for that. So, massive project. Kudos to the the developers. The you know, especially the the, the two guys that worked on this from the very get go, and yeah. all the support that they've received. Because this is like just it's one of the best examples of a, of a fan project when it goes to the full term and you actually get the final result, which is. Honestly, it's the definitive version of Resident Evil 4 now. There is certainly an argument for that, absolutely. Um, it's it's kind of wild going from, you know, quite famously, I love the Wii version of Resident Evil 4. So that's what I played uh, separate ways and all of that on that we're going to be talking about. Um, but this weekend I jumped into the HD project and I want to get some more time with it, certainly. I've only played a few chapters. But it was crazy going from the Wii version to this, of course. Um, so it was a little bit like, I don't know what was the Capcom stuff and what was the, the fan-made stuff. But occasionally you'll find something and go, that, as you just said, the quality of life. So it's like, that's incredible. The particular moment that I found was uh, really early on when you just, I think you were just leaving the village after all of the Ganado have gone away, the bell has rung, uh, and you leave towards the big gate. There's a file sort of pinned up in one of the little shacks. And it's not just a bit of paper with some black lines on it like it is in the game. They have rendered that. You can just stand close to it. If you've got like a scope or whatever, you could zoom in and read it. It's all in Spanish, but they have rendered it as an actual file (laughs) as it actually is on the wall. I was like, that's pretty great. Uh, And that is really just the tip of the iceberg because as you say, this is a huge game. Um, So I'm really excited. I'll probably play through Resi 4 again. Um, awkwardly fumbling with the controller because it's not... I love the Wii version so much. It's so weird. (laughs) I would love for them to integrate that somehow. Um, If they could find some way to integrate that into Dolphin, which I know they've had efforts to do before, Mm. um, then, yeah, absolutely. Having Mm. the the Wii motion controls is is fantastic as well. But, yeah, for people who just want to see it looking its very best while still being as honest as you can possibly be in the HD era, yeah, yeah, it's, it's perfect. 
Mm. And I don't even doubt the possibility that they could even implement those motion controls because, you know, if you just boot up the website now, you can see the continual improvements they're doing, continually updating textures so they're as best as they can be. They've made a version where you can shrink the HUD so it's way smaller, so it takes up far less screen, so you can really appreciate all the details even more, which is just a great, nice little idea. They're integrating new costumes. Ashley's beta costume from Resident Evil 3.5 is coming or has just come out, which is incredible. Um, so who knows like what the future of this project is. But as you say, the, a fully playable version is now out. If you are looking to replay Resident Evil 4 and you have the PC version, it's probably... In fact, yeah, you should absolutely do it really like... Make it a priority to check it out at least and see what you think. Because we should... Um, as a community celebrate these kinds of things to be honest um, and us as a podcast more in general uh, but yeah recommend it highly uh, James you watched a bit of me playing through it what did you make of it so I did so I looked back and I did I, I played the early version of this months mm. ago mm. Um, and I re- I loved it um, yeah I, I just you just said something I just want to riff again just from news um, and it was something we were talking about uh as well in the in the the discord of um a few hours ago uh but yes games companies like if somebody is doing something and they put so much work and time into it and it is like universally liked do not shut them down cough cough blizzard (laughs) right let them do what they need to do hire them yeah bring them on like video game preservation is important Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, Jordan, I mean, pretty much hit all the, like the notes of like, like the visual effects of this, like the HD remaster is great. The lighting is amazing, which is something I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting the lighting to be so good. Mm. Um, yeah, the, I think the thing that pops out most with me with this HD remaster is, or HD project is how just clean it is. Super crisp. It's so clean. Like, and it's not like. It's not like they've turned sharpness up to 100. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's a very clean looking game um, now. And, it, it, you know, beforehand, it was it was good looking good on the PC. Um, I do wish there was a little bit more options they had to the to the, to the the menus. Hmm. Um, they did put some things in the menus, but it, I, like, there should have been more options. Um, for FOB PC sliders. Exactly. FOB sliders. Just, just things like that, you know. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think there is a console command for FOV, but I don't know how you access it. Um, but you can you can do that. So like, it's it's really feature rich. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's and and you know the textures, as Jordan said, they look spectacular. Um, I also love that um, they didn't just like go, okay, here's here's the game, and we've re- re- resourced everything, we've redone everything. They've also made it, you know, they've also made it compatible with, made it very accessible for people from all over the world as well um mm. who speak different languages um which i think is is pretty great for a for a fan made hd like uh um offering yeah um yeah it's just great i got I, yeah you guys have said everything uh i said everything uh, that needs to be said really yeah I... I think you i just wanted to say like i mean props to capcom as always with this kind of thing because they tend not to be the kind of people that shut these things down you know re2 and 3 classic have the seamless hd projects which i've also been playing recently on the discord and they haven't stuck yeah. their nose in there just let that be obviously there was a fan-made code veronica remake i haven't heard anything from it recently i don't know if it's still going but 
again, Capcom, it seems, have no plan for Code Veronica, so they're just going to let it roll and just let the fans do what they want to do with it. The only time they've ever stepped in was the Resident Evil 2 fan remake, because for logical reasons, it's going to hurt their own bottom line because they're making one of their own. And even then, you know, as we all know, uh, they took those developers kind of under their wing um, and brought them to their own offices and talked to them, and they wound up making, you know, a different horror game entirely with Daymare, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so props to Capcom as well for just being really chill about this, because as you say, they could they could be a Blizzard, but they've been a Sega instead. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I think it's, it's not like um, <laughs> it's it's not like they're hurting like at all from these kind of things. Are no, they? exactly. Like any any games company, they're not hurting from these things. It's a very small minority of people that this ever like kind of gets to in terms of the whole grand scheme of things. Right. But even if it gets to big numbers, it's like it's only ever going to help your game. Mm-hmm. Right. It's only ever going to help your game. Right. When you decide to like shut it down, unless it's for very good reasons, like our, the RE2 remake and then you know, Resident Evil 2 2019. Um, yeah. There's just no use for it. It doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Steve, thoughts on the uh, HD project? Uh, well, I'm one of these people who still holds up RE4 as a tempo, fantastic, timeless game. So giving it renovations and the full works visually is like, you know, mm, chef's kiss. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I have uh, literally no complaints except for the file size are massive and downloading it is a frigging <laughs> chore. Uh, that, that's by the by. I wish there was, you know, quote unquote, some, you know, Steam Workshop integration. Capcom just like, you know, be like, yeah, fan mods are allowed in RE4 now. Wink, wink. There you go. Um, you know, it, it's str- stranger things have happened, like for other games. But I don't know if mm. Capcom would ever go that far. I really wish they would go that extra step in that, like you know, okay, right, you fans have made these really fantastic, interesting fan games or these really interesting mods. So we're going to let you put them where people can use them. For example, like you know, Steam Workshop for RE4 HD would be making things easier. Uh, mm. finding a way to port that to consoles maybe hire the people who made this friggin' thing I mean they even went as far Like, I think there was a new story a, a little while back about plagiarised content in RE4 uh, certain yeah. graphics images they even went out of their way to replace them in the HD mm. remaster these people have done and it puts the original quote unquote HD version that's available on Steam Bare Bones very much to shame and I'm someone who can still like go yeah RE4 is ace I love it but this just like it blows it out of the water visually, and I think they even took a crack at the uh, the much vaunted separate ways cutscenes. But I have to admit, I didn't play that version for this because downloading the files are freaking massive. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, nothing but uh, brownie points to them and the entire fan modding community as a whole. Like mm. we've got people reverse engineering RE One into fan games now with like Resident Evil and I know it's finished and not going to be like concluded with that uh, Resident Evil during the storm fan game around Kevin Ryman amazing mm. stuff the, the fact that Capcom let this stuff slide boggles my mind when they could be like going oh I see there's some potential talent here maybe we could use them for I don't know QA or something rather than mm. just leaving it uh, it just feels strange to not interact with the community that extra step <laughs> who knows who knows it could happen I suppose. Never say never. Yeah, the, the, fingers crossed about it. The Sonic Mania issue where they like get the devs in and then we finally get something crazy and amazing. It's not impossible, not unheard of. Absolutely. It makes you think what would happen if... Uh, I mean, as, as far as I am 
understanding. This was largely the work of two individuals uh, that did most of the work on this uh, HD project. Imagine if you hired those two and then you actually gave them a team. So rather than it taking so many so many years, it takes maybe two or three. Imagine what they could do to a lot of their legacy software that they could sort of revitalize and actually put out sort of HD ports that truly wow people and end up becoming the new definitive editions. Mm. They, they could do that and yeah, it just it makes you think what could be possible if Capcom were to take some steps to actually uh, hire these folks. But maybe that's not necessarily what people in the, the modern community necessarily want. I mean, this has largely come from, obviously, the freedom and you know the time to be able to do it uh, and not have their passion limited by any such deadline right. and, obviously, be partly supported by the community around them. And... I mean, there's there are so many fan projects, and some of them are incredibly ambitious, and most do not actually see the light of day in a truly finished form. So this is one of those rare examples where it did happen, it did work, and it's come out, and it's been everything that we could hope it would be. And I'm hoping that this story is sort of one of those success stories that you know leads a lot of other people who work in this community to keep pushing on and, and get themselves closer and closer to finalizing you know their projects mm. because there's there's just some fascinating stuff we go into a whole other podcast about but there is some fascinating stuff out there and uh, yeah it's all being propelled by stories like this I mean, um, maybe, maybe we will one day so there's, there's, there's three, <laughs> three things I just want to quickly touch on that I feel like if Capcom aren't going to hire them they could at least pay these people for the work of sourcing the imagery and then use it themselves like an entire full massive image bank for the, the equivalent of the entirety of RE4, that would be useful for any game dev. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, Invader Studios or someone equivalent uh, are making similar kind of games, give them a job. Uh, it, 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 it frustrates me that they're, they're probably not going to get much lip service outside the fan community for it. And they've done a they've done a harder, better version of a remaster than stuff like um, was it Thirteen, that comic book shooter that got critically <laughs> oh, panned for being visually just. <laughs> annihilated compared to its original version, stuff like that. When mm. when you've got fans who I, I, I know I know people do joke and say fans do it better all the time because they've got more time and passion. But th these guys really did push the boat out, and, and in, in an era where remasters can become in thick and fast of very varying quality. I mean, Sonic Origins didn't even come out in a fantastic state either, did it? Uh, mm. It's it's testament to these people, especially for the small amount they had. Yes, it took them like what took the better part of ten years to do it, but fantastic work. I would say that uh, you know they they don't get anything necessarily for it, other than the community talking about it. But the work speaks for itself. If they want a job in the games industry, as Jordan has just said, they managed to pull this off. Uh, all you need to do is point at that and be like, look what I did. <laughs> That's the way that I see it. So, And now, reading the files, Luis's Memo 1 and Luis's Memo 2 from Resident Evil 4, in character as Luis Serra, Kyle Voices, who you can follow on Twitter, at Kyle Reese Marsh. There are some parasites that have the ability to control their hosts. It's basic knowledge among biologists, but not much is known as to how the parasites do it. Studying these parasites specifically might reveal some clues as to how the powers of the Las Blacas work, and perhaps 
provide more insight on the victims of the Las Plagas, the Los Ganados. Here is a list of some parasites that have the ability to manipulate the behavioral patterns of their hosts. Trichocelium. Once the larva of this parasite migrates to the ant's esophagus, it alters the behavior of the ant. When the temperature drops in the evening, the infected ant climbs to the top of a plant and clamps onto a leaf using its mandible. It stays there, immobile, until the next morning, placing the ant where it's most vulnerable to be eaten by a browsing herbivore such as sheep. One could conclude that the parasite is manipulating the host behavior to make its way into the body of its definitive host. Galactosomum. The lava of this parasite makes its home inside the brain of a fish, such as the yellowtail and the parrot bass. Once infected, the fish make their way up to the water surface, where they'll swim until eaten by seabirds. Once again, the peculiar behavior can only be explained by the parasite's desire to get into the bodies of the seabirds. Leucochlordium. These parasite sporocysts develop in the snail's tentacles. The sporocysts are vivid in color and pulsate continually, somewhat like a worm. Surprisingly, the infected snail makes its way to the top of a plant where it is more visible to the eyes of birds, therefore more likely to be eaten. Once eaten by a bird, the parasite will complete its metamorphosis into an adult. Let's uh, get back to what we're here for. Let's talk about the uh, additional modes of Resident Evil 4 that we haven't talked about before, which is separate ways, Assignment Ada and the Mercenaries. Uh, the latter two obviously launched with the GameCube original. Separate ways was added on with the PlayStation 2 version moving onwards. Uh, I think that is probably the best place to start because it's the meatiest part. Uh, it's, it's the bit with the story, uh, at least. So <laughs> I guess that is the logical place to begin separate ways for anybody who may not be aware of it is uh kind of like the the gaiden of resident evil 4 it's the side story uh i don't mean that and it takes place on a boat or anything i mean it's <laughs> there's the actual definition this is resident evil 4 through ada's perspective it's kind of uh for me sort of, you know when you play through it it feels kind of like the greatest hits of resident evil 4 with conjoining uh, new cutscenes um, and that kind of stuff, which was a little bit of an endeavour, I think, from Capcom to tie Resident Evil 4 closer to everything that had come before, that Resident Evil 4 had kind of just pushed aside. Sounds very, maybe a little bit too strong, but uh, it didn't go out of its way to kind of connect itself to the original games, whereas separate ways... Uh, does a little bit of that and kind of opens it up to the future a little bit. Uh, Steve, do you think that's fair to say about separate ways, you know, place in the canon? What do you think of it? Uh, well, a lot of people will describe that it's the quote-unquote true main story of Resident Evil 4 like, as a result of that, with all the connective tissues and mm. sticks. It's got Wesker, it's got Ada, it's got like global scope, you know, because the president's daughter being kidnapped doesn't have global scope somehow. <laughs> but, what, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and, and Umbrella is generally only mentioned by Krauser in the main campaign, whereas Wesker is basically vying to build his own new version of Umbrella. Uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely definitely is the more connective tissue, I find. And it's mm. not necessarily 
for its own betterment. It feels sometimes it's playing it's paying lip service around the gameplay of what it's doing. Like Ada is tearing through villages left and right and jumping left and right. Uh, but to, to quote unquote get the sample. Uh, and that is mostly just conveyed through dialogue separate between her and Wesker, and what she's doing is almost independent of it most of the time. It's a fair point. It is a fair point. I guess, you know, you're working off a game that already exists. Exactly, exactly. But, but I mean, we so want to have a battleship boss fight somewhere. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> See, there is a ship in this garden. Um, yeah, I mean, true, true. Mm. Um, okay. Jordan, what do you think of separate ways in terms of as a connective piece of tissue, as we as we put it? Um, I mean, as as a story, I think it's a bit sort of threadbare, like as its own sort of contained story. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it has connecting points that that work with the main story. It's a, I suppose it's a neat little sort of supplementary addition um, if you've just sort of finished Resident Evil Four and you want to kind of experience some of those particular. Uh, plot points and Ada's involvement in them, but I, I'll be honest. Aside from maybe you know one or two sort of Wesker revelations, I didn't really felt like I learned anything meaningful from this. Mm. Like I kind of went into it almost, you know, and it's the wrong way to go in. I thought it was probably going to be better than it actually turned out to be. So I, I just thought that people sort of talk with it with a certain amount of sort of reverence, being that it's a you know great little sort of bonus mode. But I don't think the story is its strong, you know. It's, I don't think it's his strength. Mm. Um, all I ended up just feeling was that this was a bit of a sort of a squandering of an Ada perspective. You know, she doesn't really get any extra dimension here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's very obvious that they're working within the confines of main game assets and events when I feel like they, they could have broadened it out. They could have done a bit more with it. But... Obviously, I can't necessarily complain too much, but I did like aspects. Like, I like the idea of sort of having crossover incidents with Leon. You can yeah, actually have it yeah. in a couple of the stages where you will actually see Leon in the back in the background doing his thing as he was doing in the main campaign. Um, and, and I, I like that. It kind of reminded me of an old Lord of the Rings game called The Third Age, where you're, you're you know, you're playing as, for lack of a better term, some nobodies in Middle Earth that are about a hundred paces behind the Fellowship, and <laughs> every now and then you kind of come into contact with them and cross paths and stuff. Kind of felt a little bit like that, where that's pretty neat. I I do like that aspect of it. Um, I just think they could have went a bit further with it, but for what it's worth. There's more Wesker, and that's always cool. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is definitely something that I appreciate about it. It's, you know, Richard Wah, uh as Wesker, always good by me. You know, it's great as ever. I I think you're right. It does, it really, mostly it just reaffirms a few things that we just kind of got basic reference to. As Steve said, you know, the word umbrella gets thrown around once and Wesker gets a brief mention, whereas this you get a little bit a little bit more on that just to kind of like, yes, that's a thing, but not a whole lot more information. The rival company, kind of, we kind of learned that that's a thing um, and that Wesker has a goal to get Plagas for his own means. That's about it, really. It's more just like, a, yeah, just a... Reaffirmation of everything. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's what's going on. It's not like a big revelation for me. Um, what it reveals kind of feels like stuff you assumed anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's the yeah, puzzling that's thing because a lot of people turn around and say this is the true story of RE4, but then you look at it in a vacuum. It doesn't really hold up on its own merits as a story. <laughs> like 
in that case, it is just a pile of references as Ada shoots through hordes, meets Luis, meets Leon, leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The true story of Resident Evil 4 is we get to see how Miss DSX Machina inserts herself into key moments, whereas in the original <laughs> game, she just appears. Like, this we get a few minutes beforehand where you see her walking up to appear. Oh, okay. <laughs> it turns out that village fight wasn't seven or so minutes. It was, in fact, a good 20 or 30 as Ada was trying to figure out which way this puzzle went round, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, James, what do you think of the story of Separate Ways? Um... Yeah, I think Jordan said it right with it was neat because <laughs> it, it's nice. You know, I think, you know, there's one thing I always say, like when we're playing Resident Evil, like, why is this here? Why are you there? Why is this happening? You know, and in like in separate ways, it gave us a little bit more like exposition on that. Like it was gave us a little bit more explanation of why something was where it was like. And mm. yeah, but <sighs> It was so. I was when I played Separate Ways for the first time. I was expecting a little bit. I think we all were. We were expecting a little bit more from Ada, and a little bit more about her and who she is. But instead, we got this very cookie cutter La Femme Nikita character, um, who you know was just fed up with all the boys. <laughs> you know, um, basically, you know, because constantly you're hearing her just complaining. You know that she has to chase up after everybody and has to kind of pick up you know which is it's fine but you know is that your personality ada i wanted to know more about you than this um but you don't really get to know much about i i I know we do get like what her company's goals are and what wesker's goals are but we don't know what ada's goals are yes which is a big part of the story really because obviously near the end we get I don't actually remember if it's mentioned in separate ways or it comes later, but, you know, Wesker wants this dominant Plaga and she kind of screws him out of it in the end. She kind of takes the main sample for herself. Yeah, the final so, video log thing. Uh, it is in the, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Like, as you say, we don't actually know what Ada is up to. She seems like she's working for Wesker for the longest time and then at the end, she does the and, Ada thing. So Right. And it's like, Ada's always interested me, and we were talking about it earlier on actually in DMs say about like vagueness. Mm. And like I do like some vagueness, but you need something. You need crumbs. Every time that character comes up, you need something, <laughs> you know, to catch on to so you can keep investigating into this character and wanting to know more. But Ada is just Ada. Yeah. Um and unfortunately I love Ada. Like, but she's also just she's she is the least dimensional character in the series right now. Yeah. Um, even though she's a she's been in like I she's been in more and more more games than some of the main characters have. Mm. I am you know, waiting for the eleventh hour revealed. It turns out she's just been working for US Gov or something all along, and it's just a really lackluster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah and it, it, it sucks. You know, but uh, I, I did enjoy separate ways, though. I did like the parallels and seeing Leon in the village, mm. like, fighting his way through and yeah. the, the jacket as well. <laughs> the jacket is great, yeah. Um, I liked all those, re- and as you guys said earlier, like, all the all the references and stuff are really, really cool. And, yeah, seeing Wesker and Richard Wilde was amazing as well. Um, bring them back, all the person that's doing DVD right now. Where are you? What's your name? <laughs> Please tell us. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Also, I, I, I mean, this is maybe a little bit of gameplay, but um, 
it did feel like I was just playing RE3 again, but with the highlights. Um, you know, I was getting, I, I was, you know, I was getting action replays of the main game, mm. but I was playing Ada, so it's just like, well, I've <laughs> already, mean, I've already done this, so. I <laughs> also do. The the the, the, yeah. the gameplay battle sequences that are off on and Ada's new tool the the crossbow and the, arguably the pump action shotgun being a widespread thing is actually a fun little toy of a weapon that they don't reuse in mercenaries because reasons. <laughs> I so that that shotgun I really don't like that shotgun, um, but I tell you what I do like about it and that is that you don't really need to aim it when you're exploding dynamite. Well. I'm going to give you a Steve, a Steve hot tip and a hot take. I think the, the shotgun's ineffective damage-wise, but high ability to knock people over is to emphasize that Ada's more of a push-forward character rather than a clear-out and kill everything. Mm, you know, as in okay. advance yeah. forward, just knock them over and run past. Uh, I mean, that's that's personally Steve's own head cannon take anyway, where we just we just gone through and don't focus on killing. I like it. I'd, I'd love to know why. Like, so the way that Ada interacts with everyone is, ooh, I'm mysterious. But in this game, in separate ways, we get like her internal monologue or journal or whatever. Yeah. And that's how she talks to herself as well. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. why I don't I like it. I don't know like, what Ada is thinking. Exactly. I bet I'll let the audience it? know. That's what her <laughs> real story is. She, it, it, she knows. It's, ve- it's very Kojima. Yeah, is what it's like. It's so, it's so. It is a little bit, yeah, but it almost just feels like she knows it's a video game. It's like (laughs) I find her. Yeah, I mean, I don't know really. I, I, my memory's terrible for, you know, several months back, let alone the games you know that we've all grown up with. I don't know how hard I went in on Ada on that episode or not, but she's insufferable (laughs) in this. I just thought she was so annoying. Uh, But there you go. Uh, but we have transitioned to gameplay, at least. So that's nice. That'll get away from me sort of moaning about Ada. Um, yeah, I thought from a gameplay perspective, whilst the story might have been lacking, I thought the gameplay, I, there was more to this than meets the eye for me. I, As I said, it's a bit of a greatest hits of, of RE4, the mem- sort of memorable parts. Uh, it is obviously just mostly reusing locations from the main game, but it was actually longer than I anticipated that it was going to be. Several hours uh, so, you know, it's not a not a hero in, in RE7 where it's, you know, a couple of hours long at most. This is like a mini campaign on all of its own making, really. This would be a good, um, like, 10 to 15 quid DLC back in the day. Yeah. yeah. And I really just, something else that I appreciated about it is that, and this is not to say that it's better than the main campaign, but it's just a different way to do it. But if you want to dip in and out with Resident Evil 4, Separate ways is a really nice way just to be like, you know what, I, pl- I want to play some Resi 4. I don't necessarily want the big investment of playing the game over again. Uh, you can just kind of jump in and out because Ada, as you guys have mentioned, has got her own sort of setup of weapons. Uh, there are There's like a fixed inventory, which is a bit more traditionally Resident Evil, I suppose. Uh, there's, is, there's no upgrading. There's no choice of different shotguns and different handguns. Uh, you just... You start with whatever you start with, and you can buy a few more from the merchant, but that's it. Which I actually, kind of, as much as I love the upgrade part as part of the campaign, it's kind of nice to have this version too, where you just go, right, this is what I've got, and this is what I've got to deal with. It starts off a little bit overpowered, perhaps, but by the end of the game, I haven't upgraded it. It's just how it was at the beginning, so it's a little bit more tense. Of course, the crossbow kind of makes it a little bit redundant, but 
Yeah, I really like the slight change of it by sort of going back to the more traditional elements there without the upgrades and stuff. Uh, Jordan, how do you feel about the gameplay of Separate Ways? Uh, well, it's yeah, it's RE4. It's almost too much like RE4. <laughs> but, um, you know, it doesn't ask too much of you in terms of actual hours played. So, yeah, not, not too shabby. Um, and, I mean, I really like the whole shipyard sequence. Um, that yeah. was pretty cool. That seemed brand new. Could I be wrong on that? I want to argue, yes, I think it is. Uh, there's I an area so. before then where you're save, you're meant to be saving you from Krauser, which is literally the same routes that you would take with the with the, um, the digger with Ashley and Leon. As, well, bulldozer-style yeah. thing that's been repurposed into an arena. Mm. But I believe that the ship dock is an entirely new section, an entirely new section. But I could be wrong. Cool. Yeah. I believe so. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely like that bit. I mean, I liked it all. Uh, it was just more of a kind of a case of, uh, well, I knew what they were sort of working with, or, or sort of what limitations they were working with. You were only really, for the most part, going to see enemies, locations, and events that were in the main game. It wasn't really going to kind of go broader than that. Mm. Uh, but it's still sort of added enough that there is a certain distinction, as we've previously said the hook shot is a really fun addition kind of wish it was used more i think that just generally it would be very fun if you had more places to traverse with that and not simply just to kind of go off the beaten path to get an extra collectible in fact there is like so many sort of like treasures and collectibles in this you know four or five hour experience that you kind of actually run out of things to spend on um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the the actual sort of like inventory that you've got on the store that you have with the merchant, uh, it, it's it's got that proper 2020 fast food limited menu type vibe to it. <laughs> you know, your favourites may not be available today. Um, the breakfast I was... menu's closed, stranger. You can only have what's on afterwards <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Breakfast Wrap. It ain't coming back. <laughs> I was sort of like, okay, um, a lot of my favourites aren't here. Um, but the weapons that I'm using seem to be getting me through just about everything anyway. Why do I need to buy the rifle? Why do I need to buy the crossbow? Mm. Eventually, I just bought them out of sort of a necessity to just get rid of gold and Mercedes, because I was like, I've collected all of this stuff. I guess I've got to give it some meaning. Yes, I'll buy the giant suitcase. Yes, I will buy the uh, all of the extra weapons which I won't use. Um and I really didn't need to use. Like, I, I understand why you know some people like to go on pistol runs of of this game, and obviously the main game as well. But this game in particular, you can do it, and it and it feels sort of like realistic for just about anybody, to be quite honest. So, I mean, I guess sort of dressing down that sort of uh, inventory, which obviously in the main game is exhaustive by the end. You you, you know you can buy so much stuff that it makes sense that this is is not quite to that extent because it would probably be overkill for what is ultimately you know just sort of like five scenarios which for the most part you don't actually really have to stick around and clear out everything it's more about sort of just triggering the next sequence that gets you out of there um krauser still dies cheap against the knife lol um, <laughs> so that was that was nice to see what a big I mean, thing hate- you have there <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, we 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 didn't quite go into how terrible Ada's lines are in this. Mm. They're almost they're almost too cringe to be canon. 
<laughs> I, like that, I like that big thing you got there. Is that meant to be sexy? Too cringe to be canon. Now that's a podcast. You'd be, the, you'd be leaving the club alone with that kind of talk. <laughs> Another but example of a character being made by a man. Yeah. And and being made in 2004. I mean, Ada, <laughs> a.k.a. Trinity from The Matrix. But, <laughs> but really bawdy and, yeah, just a, a bit concrete. I mean, it is... It is silly in a kind of a, a funny way, um, but yeah, like I mean, if you if you had any kind of hope for Ada sort of gaining some extra dimension in this game or any game in Resident Evil, it ain't happening soon. To be, to be quite honest, and certainly <laughs> not in Resident Evil Four. No, absolutely, uh, James. What do you think of the gameplay of Separate Ways? Uh, I love the black tail. Yeah, right. Black tail's awesome. Yeah, the fact it's got zero recoil and just like, you know, she she has the grip, you know, of of a freaking Goliath. She just, yeah, she's bang 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 bang. You can <laughs> you can make it into a semi-auto. It's great. Mm. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the the shotgun in terms of um, how she moved. I like that she was a lot quicker. You could, I I felt like I could speed run with her <laughs> through this because, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised if there are speed runs of separate ways online because she feels so much quicker um than than leon does um which is kind of cool because it's like that this game was made a long time ago and like to make a character feel like different from another character is especially in a game that is so unique like this in terms of its gameplay yeah very it's very it's very cool um uh i didn't like many of the bosses in this game with separate ways um I absolutely hated Krauser, and I hated even more Sadler. The guy didn't die; he just kept on getting up. I just, you know, it was so. It was. It was like um, I hearkened it to the uh, uh, Joe Baker fight when he, he, you know, when he fought his brother mm. at the end, right, where he just wouldn't die. Like mm. there was a lot of that stuff, um, and it really, <laughs> really annoyed me because I just, yeah, and. I maybe a controversial opinion, but I, I I didn't feel like the hook shot was really that great because it it was all trigger events and it didn't I didn't have any kind of agency over the hook shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like okay, well this is a hook shot, hook shot moment. This is how I'm gonna get. I, I tell you what, there was a one there was one one funny bit though. Um, <laughs> uh, I remember I oh God I can't remember what it was now, but. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was it was when Leon was being strangled by Mendez. Hmm. And there's this bit where Ada just comes flying from above um on top of a roof. And I don't know where she flew in from. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's like she just flies like a bird on top of the roof. I don't but it, it could have been the hook shot. She might have overshot it and then flew flew over, <laughs> but it just it just made me laugh. It was like why are you just landing? You could just you know, it's like, you know, you don't need to jump to put the ball into the basket, you know, you could just land on the roof. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I do, I do. Like the gunplay was great, but it's, it's Resident Evil Four. Yeah, the gunplay's always been good. Um, I liked her fan kicks, her melee attacks. They were great. Um, yeah, I like the fact that you could just run away from El Gigante. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I because I don't. I also don't like El Gigante. <laughs> Um, but uh, not not because he's a bad boss fight, by the way. Just because he terrifies me, um, <laughs> which is good for the game. That, that's a good thing they put into the game. Uh, yeah, it's 
yeah, I, I was just just repeating. You know, it's our it's Resident Evil Four. Its gameplay is its is its is its best, like in gunplay and movement, and its uniqueness and how you move around the maps is its best um, thing. And separate ways, it doesn't really change that. It just speeds up, puts it on turbo a little bit, mm. which was nice. I tend to play Resident Evil Four quite resourcefully. I imagine a lot of people do the the playstyle of. Try and pop them in the head and then melee attack everything to death, pretty much, and knife them while they're down, all that stuff. So it's easy to stack up on all kinds of uh, goodies. So the boss fights for me were, I agree, it was really weird. It feels like, especially Santa, it feels like it takes forever to kill him, uh, which is really weird when all you're doing is like firing explosive crossbow bolts into him over and over again. It's like, you should probably be dead by now. Uh, this doesn't really make any sense, but never mind. Uh, but yeah, I found them to be really easy, but maybe it's just because I had loads of crossbow bolts and I just lit him up. But there you go. Um, Steve, what do you think of the gameplay of Separate Ways? Uh, now I'm looking at it from a newer context, because much like you, I'm a resourceful, slow exterminator for the main game. You mm. know, pouring over everything, stabbing everything, saving every bullet. If you play it as a fast-paced run-and-gun, it's a lot more satisfying to me. Uh, and yeah, I think that's the way I think they should have intended to play. Like maybe give Ada a time limit or something on each chapter Interesting. would have probably helped emphasize that. I feel uh, overall, though, it's just a fun experience. If you enjoyed RE4 but you want something with a slightly different flavor, I think you could go. You could do far worse than separate ways. The only downside is, like everyone said, the hookshot is a gimmick and not really a gameplay mechanic. You know, it's a, mm. a way to use a contextual action to get somewhere else. It's not like a evade combat to reposition to strike from behind or something, which would be more of a modern use for it. I kind of hope that if Ada does get her own bits in RE4, R, that it's not a bloody microwave gun or whatever it was in Remake 2, and it actually is her signature grapple gun, and she can use it mm. for some kind of environmental traversal. It, it It's a shame it was underutilised. Um, regarding the Sadler boss fight, we all seem to have acknowledged that Krauser is like weak against a knife. Did you know that that is the, also the trick for um, oh. Sadler? You have to shoot him until he's trying to vomit up, go, vomit up bullets. But shoot him in the face yet again, and he'll stagger, pop his eye out, and then you give him a few swipes, rinse and repeat a few times, and he's done. <laughs> oh, nuts. So, yeah, just, just like everything else, there is a trick gimmick. Uh, I only know that because I watched a speed run for this this afternoon. Uh, someone has beat this in under like 25 minutes, which is crazy because I can't wow. beat the first chapter that fast. Yeah, that is quite ridiculous. I, I just remember defeating Sadler and not knowing what I'd done to do it. So, like with <laughs> everything to do with Ada, I was left confused. <laughs> Still, probably my favourite intro to a boss fight is the ca- the cutscene ends and you just see the main villain's head turn and it's just a <laughs> and then the browning of Steve's trousers against face practice. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, it's on. It's like a better Wesker fight. Before we sum up a little bit on separate ways and move on to the next bit, uh, speaking of Brown, uh, Steve, I want to give you the floor to say some things about the cutscenes in separate oh, ways. Oh, God. You've got some, some opinions. <laughs> oh, God, right. Um, well, well, I know most of us are adults who listen to this podcast, but if for some reason you are of a certain age where you do not do the pots, you may have to use your mind and visualize. Okay, but this entire game is like looking into a dirty sink, and on the, inside this sink is a CRT TV. Uh, the the, the cutscenes are like you're looking through used dishwater the entire time. Now, bless them, there are people who are trying to upscale and make it so it's a, it's 
um, clearing out the visual mess, but it's vile. And I distinctly remember it being vile back on the PS2, which boggles my mind because the PS2 had MGS1, no, sorry, MGS2, Devil May Cry 3, MGS, yeah. you know, all these really, really high spec in engine cutscenes, and they couldn't manage it for RE4. No, I know there'd have to be some kind of madness and probably say disc limitations or something as to why. Like in um, RE4 proper on the PS2, you couldn't have the gangster outfit show up in cutscenes either. It would just play the grainy FMV. They only did it for Leon's like default and RPD outfit respectively, but it just looks awful. It literally is like you're, you're looking at a watercolor the entire time. It's, not, it's unacceptable. And the, and, the, and the HD re-releases on modern consoles, on like your PS4s, your PS5s, your Switches, your Xboxes, that it's still that grainy. Just, mm. God's sake, just get Source Filmmaker and ad hoc it or something. You could do that. You know, <laughs> we, we'd pay for better separate ways cutscenes. Jesus. Yeah. It does feel like somebody exported it at the wrong aspect ratio and then just blew it up. Didn't yeah. They? And they like- accidentally saved over the project file and they were like, well... <laughs> Jeff, is this meant to be for a Winamp file? Uh, <laughs> it'll be all right on VLC, mate. Print it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Somebody made it for the mobile version. And yeah, then, it's the Zebo. Yeah. <laughs> it's in it's in .3GP format. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like, though. Yeah, fair. It's got a vertical resolution of 46. <laughs> what do you mean it's pronounced Jeff? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about a little bit um, how we feel about separate ways, what it adds to Resident Evil 4 as a complete package. Um, I mean, I guess we've kind of talked about from a story perspective. Uh, for me, it does, you know, it fleshes things out, but only minimally, as we've kind of said before. The most important thing for me in terms of what it adds is it not necessarily to Resident Evil 4, but to Resident Evil in general, is that the impact that it's had, people always use the phrase now, Separate ways style. Oh, like a separate ways kind of thing. Uh, when we fantasize about side stories for games and side chapters and DLC possibilities, people always mention separate ways. So people will remember it for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it's part of one of the biggest games in the series. Maybe it's because it was a really nice selling point for the PlayStation 2 port, which is probably, I would guess, the port that most people played, uh, most people bought. I don't know, but uh, something about that phrasing was really, and the idea is really stuck with people. So I think maybe that's probably more its legacy than anything else. Um, James, what do you think about how it, what it adds to Resident Evil and Resident Evil Four? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, Ada definitely doesn't add anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know I think that's why Resident Evil Village. Um, why everybody was so excited and obviously behind the scenes as well they were like oh maybe we should do something because it was clearly inspired mm. by Resident Evil 4 um, and then we seen those like those images online of Ada Wong um, you know and we were like very excited because we were like oh we're going to get more Ada Wong ways, yeah. is, is it going to be again like you said is it going to be like separate ways um, and I theory yeah, but I think they're probably moving that to Remake 4 instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you best get like, an alternate outfit that looks like Eileen the Crow in 4, man? Because that looks beast. That'd be awesome. That'd be a really, really it. cool nod, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, it, it would be really neat. And again, that that's because of separate ways, and that's because of what it's done. Um, I, I can't really... Because 
I can't really think of anything else it's added because it is just RE4, the base game, but put that you turn the turbo button on your Mad Cat's controller. <laughs> you know, it's it's it doesn't really bring much else to the franchise other than like the, what they've done with the parallel storylines, mm. which again I repeat is really cool. Um, and like you said, has inspired uh, games in the future, and hopefully will inspire the remake as well. Mm, agreed. Yeah, it would be nice to see this, obviously, at Remake 4 in some fashion. And yeah, fair point. I hadn't really had the opportunity to just outright agree with what you guys were saying about seeing Leon in the background. It's a really neat touch. There's that room in the castle where you're kind of like on that elevated platform. It's where you can get the rocket launcher in the main campaign. Um, and you see Leon on the other side as Ada. And now every time I play Resident Evil 4, I'm going to be looking over at that little bridge section being like, Ada's up there somewhere. <laughs> um, Jordan, what do you think of what Separate Ways adds to Resident Evil 4? I think as a concept, it is, you know, it's solid, it's it's novel. Um, I think in execution, it's a little bit lacking uh, now, especially to kind of revisit it. Um, but of course, it was chucked in for free, yeah. Uh, just as part of the latest release, and it's obviously been included in every release since. So I don't feel like I can complain that much. Mm. Now, I mean, if this was being sold as separate DLC, as would become the trend just a few years after this, uh, you know, initial release on the PlayStation Two, um, that would be a harder sell for me. I would want to be seeing unique enemies or additional characters or something else with the story that you know really kind of pulls you in and that it's not just in service to RE4's main plot but in service to its own plot and actually having you know more of a substance to it as an actual episodic content mm-hmm. um that obviously is not what we're looking at today we're looking at what separate ways is and yeah, what it is, it's certainly fun to sort of jump into and, you know, play for a few hours. It's harmless in that respect. Uh, I just don't necessarily think that it's the strongest part of the bonus content that came out of RE4. Mm. I think it's a little bit of an afterthought and uh, it could have just used a bit more. But yeah, it, it, it is what it is. Mm. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts on the impact of uh, Separate Ways? Now, listener, this may surprise you, as I am pretty sure I have been the most negative on Separate Ways so far. Uh, but I actually think it's worthwhile. I, I think bolting on an additional potential six or seven hours of content for a free update to, you know, from GameCube to PS2 is not insubstantial. There's a lot of, like, extra arenas to play with. There's different routes. And... You know, in comparison to the main game, you know, there's only two paths, Leon's path and Ada's path. But it's variety, and more variety in the game, you can't just sniff at, especially something of that size, even if it's just remixed. There is, like, as not maybe not enough new content. We've got literally a battleship and a saddler boss fight for, quote-unquote, new stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and a handful of weapons. But it's it's nice. Uh, the, 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 the limited uh, scope of the story which basically just affirms what people would have already been able to grasp from the main campaign, it is okay. You know, I don't think it quite feeds everyone's, like, law, that their need for more deep law, but it's just like, oh, yeah, so it's an exclamation mark on what was previously written in small text. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, I think for what it is, it's great, because nowadays it would be like, you know, you'd have to get gold edition or whatever, or a, you know, Resident Evil 4, The Shivering Isles. 
It'd be like a, a 10 quid DLC, and then I would have an issue with it. So for it being basically the PS2 version's unique selling point, I think it's okay. The first Castellan buried the Las Plagas deep underground below the castle to hide their very existence. But when Salazar released the Las Plagas, no one thought he could bring them back to life. Because when Salazar found them, they were all just fossilized remains. Everyone knew that the parasitic organisms could not survive without their hosts, that they could not sustain life on their own. But when Salazar and his men excavated the remains, it almost appeared as if the Las Plagas were just waiting to be discovered so that they could resurrect. Several years later, unexplainable convulsions started occurring among the villagers who helped with the excavation of the Las Plagas. Then one day, all of a sudden, these villagers turned into violent savages. They later found out it was caused by the Las Plagas. Although they appeared fossilized, they were able to survive the long years by lying in a dormant state at the cellular level, remaining in a spore-like form. Apparently, during the excavation, the villagers inhaled the spores, and within their bodies the parasites became active again. This is how the Las Plagas were resurrected. Even as I'm writing, the excavation of the Las Plagas continues. God only knows how many of these Plagas have been resurrected, not to mention the countless numbers of ganados that have been created. Their inhumane activity must be put to an end. If they are not stopped, people around the world could turn into victims of this crazy cult organization. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the stuff that shipped with the original version of the game and has done moving forward ever since. Uh, the the other the other Ada appearance, the original Ada appearance before Separate Ways, where you got to play as her in the game on our own little mission, which is Assignment Ada. Essentially, this is a short kind of one shot uh almost like a run and gun kind of sprinty mode where you want to it's it you get to explore the island area again which you don't do in separate ways particularly um grab five plaga samples and get out of there it's it's pretty simple uh, i'm interested to see what people think of this one um, james what's your thoughts on assignment ada um and how it feels to play and you know what makes it stand out i guess uh, it feels like it feels like gauntlet. It feels like a gauntlet. A little You're, bit, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I really like that. Uh, it teaches you, well, it doesn't really teach you, but it wants you to learn different uh, gameplay styles. I actually played this a little bit before playing the main, before playing separate ways, um, and then and then completed it afterwards. Mm. Um, I felt like I had uh, way more skill. I should have played this first. <laughs> basically because i feel like i had way more skill after playing this than i did while i was playing the main game because it forcefully teaches you how to do things such as like saving ammo and like how to use your punisher and stuff like that um or rather you know and how to use your fan kicks and and your back kicks and stuff like that uh yeah it's very i mean as you say it's very simple as you know it's point a to point b c d e f 
and G. Like it's <laughs> um, <laughs> there's not much to it, um, but at the same time, like it's you know you don't need to really go wrong. You can't really go wrong with a simple concept like this. Um, just shoot their knees, guys, and you win. <laughs> shoot the knees. Shoot the knees. Then you know press B or whatever it was B or X uh, to fan kick. Like you'll win the win the game easy. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, this is not meant to be a top tips, but <laughs> <laughs> but it is now apparently. I mean, don't don't use the scope on the sniper rifle either. Don't do that. Oh, that. <laughs> because like because you'll be you you're in close quarters the entire freaking time. So right. There's literally no point. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah um, it's a fun little game. Yeah, it's. I was the same as you. I played several ways and then jumped into this, um, which I I've certainly never played Assignment Ada before, actually. Uh, so it was really interesting to see what it was because I didn't really know what it was going into it. And yeah, coming out of separate ways where, I, as I just said, I've been, I played very resourceful and was just kind of drowning in ammunition by the end. Uh, this is very much the reverse of that where you don't get a whole lot. So you really got to sort of plan what you're doing, especially at the beginning. Like that first area is like, okay, I have very little and there's like machine gun Ganado immediately and that kind of thing. So it was it was nice in that way, certainly. Um, yeah. To me, this feels a little bit like it's a bit of a proto-Wesker mode from Resident Evil Zero. Because it's this non-canon version of events where Ada is just kind of following Wesker's orders and she's wearing like mm. this moody dark costume, which by the way, spy costumes, pretty cool. I'm going to say oh, that. Actually, I really uh, like yeah, the costume. Yeah, I loved I love the outfit. The butterfly needs to come back as a like main thing. It's on a dress. It's cool, it's isn't on it? That thing. Yeah. It's on a, I think it's on her other gear as well. Yeah, it's cool. Mm. I do like that as a as a little motif. Yeah, you know, it's it was all right. Uh, Steve, how did you find the same assignment, Ada? Well, let me take you back to the year two thousand and four. It's the only bonus mode besides mercenaries. Ada doesn't have a knife in that version. It is way harder. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's uh this this is the this is this season's extreme battle. This is the extreme battle. Hardly <laughs> enough, yeah. a, a game that has mercenaries yeah. and extreme battle at the same time. Who knew? Uh, I think it's fun. Like it it, 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 as I said before, with separate ways, you know, if you treat this as a run and gun challenge mode, it, it helps it immeasurably. It's incredibly busted now though, because Ada gets a knife in both modes, so you can slowly build up a supply mm. of gear and then you get to the point where my last run through I was feeling so privileged that oh oh I can throw away these bullets I don't need the bunny to pick up this virus sample well, you know just throwing <laughs> throwing bullets away to progress with the plot it just feels like I'm so decadent and opulent now <laughs> but whereas playing it without the knife it's an absolute ordeal because Krauser isn't going to go down nowhere near as easy <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a fun jaunt, uh, fun gauntlet mode, like everyone said, and uh, separate ways overshadows it. And I don't know for the life of me why the outfit doesn't provide as an unlockable in that mode. Mm-hmm. You know, you literally yeah. you have three outfits of Raider, and you can't pick any of them in this mode or the other mode. You know, there's only mercenaries. I think we can choose. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it pretty much at the time of the GameCube release was your only alternate. Pathway besides mercenaries from the main game as a linear adventure, narratively completely pointless. Uh, but yeah. as a gameplay exercise, it's fun. It's a way of using Ada's mercenaries mode set in a way that isn't mercenaries. So it's all it's all gravy, even if it is just find the four virus bombs again. Yeah, 
I'm glad you mentioned the knife thing because uh, I, as I, before I played this, I looked this up because, as I said, I didn't know what it was, and I noticed that little fact. So I went, you know what? I'm going to do it without the knife. I'm going to go uh, see what this was like when it launched, um, and that Krauser boss fight. <laughs> I mean, it's first of all, it's rubbish. I thought it was a rubbish boss fight, <laughs> but when you figure out how to cheese it, it's a lot, it's a lot funnier. Uh, so here's my pro tip since we're all chucking them out there so when you get to that final boss fight where Krauser is like a long runway uh, basically what you can do is uh, is pop him once or twice with the I think you have to get down to the end of the runway but pop him a couple of times with a sniper rifle run past him back the way you came come back again the damage stays uh, and he'll be spawned at the other end so basically you just stand at the doorway fire a couple of times leave come back in and just do it until he's dead Uh which is, <laughs> I realised halfway through that, I was like, I might as well just use the knife at this point if I'm cheating like this, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, it really makes Krauser look pathetic. It does. It, oh, I mean, yeah, it did. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Do you want to know how did you find Assignment Ada? I, I enjoyed it. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little dash. You know, I, I felt like it was sort of clearly designed around sort of speed running it. it mm. Sort of. This is something that maybe you kind of come back to and try and kind of beat your previous record. In a way that obviously is always the case with just about every Resident Evil mode, including the main campaigns. But especially yeah. here, it feels like it's sort of emphasized. It's sort of, it's really simple. You know where the samples are. Um, you you know the route because you it's, it's sort of a, it's a late game. So if you've just come from the main campaign, you're going to know it's like the back of your hand. Uh, it really didn't feel like um, it was posing anything sort of of a of a challenge about pathfinding. It was more about actually dealing with the areas that you already know with a big onslaught of enemies, especially as you say in that sort of opening area. Um, it's it's almost one of those things where, again, I'm sort of looking at the potential of the the mode and and what it it could have been maybe a, a couple years later as well. And there's this is where I feel like you know if they had expanded here, it would have really capitalized on what it is as a mode, you know, like, I guess I'm thinking of the the sheer sort of, like, fluidity of movement that, you know, the likes of Resident Evil 6 would come along and sort of, you know, show. Kind of feel like, because this is Ada, uh, you're not playing as Leon, you're not playing the main campaign, you're not even playing a campaign, sorry, you're not even playing a canon story, mm-hmm. um, that you might as well go a little bit crazy with it. Especially because the cutscenes are separate ways sort of really do paint Ada as, you know, having a little dash of sort of uh, superpower to herself as well. You know, she kind of really laughs in the face of zombie apocalypse at every turn. So I kind of felt like if you added, like, a sprint button or, you know, more utilization of the hook shot, this mode in particular could really use it because um, it would be very fun to try and kind of speedrun this in sort of insane, uh, like, record time. And uh, it, it, obviously it didn't have that. And I, I, obviously I'm not going to mark it down for stuff that it didn't have because that just wasn't what the game design was at the time. But what is here is still, you know, it's really inoffensive because it takes so little time, uh, you know, to actually play through. And yeah, it never outstays its welcome. I think it's actually got like just enough to, you know, make me want to go back and play it again, mm. despite the fact that I've seen everything, despite the fact that I've done everything and I've killed every Ganado. Um, it's still got an appeal that is separate from separate ways. And I, I don't know exactly why, 
but I actually kind of prefer this over separate ways. And I, I think it's maybe just because it's, it's more straightforward about what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we're not, we're not getting you, like, we're not giving you any, um, big plot details here or even trying to tease that we will. You're not going to learn anything about these characters. Just find thing. Kill Ganados. Get out of there. That's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And y- yeah, you know, it's, it's fun to do a run of that. Um, so I kind of would al- almost like to have seen other levels that are sort of based around that. But that was, especially because I played it after Separate Ways, that was a real sort of breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, I, no, I really like how arcadey this is. Yeah. So it's got that going for it. Mm. It's interesting, really. I suppose it depends on what your perspective is, because I think there are a lot of Ada fans out there that are probably quite happy that they got in Separate Ways because it's probably more what some Ada fans would say she deserves uh, in terms of being a main character. Like she gets to take part, a bigger part of the story, or at least the illusion of, of that, maybe. Uh, whereas this is just an arcade mode. But yeah, I agree with you in that sense that it's it offers even further, something even further away from the campaign than Separate Ways does by, you know, it being a very one-shot thing. There is no saving, there is no merchant. You just get what you get. And you go through. It would actually be cool to have a few more maps, kind of like of essentially the same thing, but you know, a, f- a few other places to roam around and chuck some different boss fights in there and stuff. I would have been, I would have possibly been down for that um, as some other additional content. But you know, I'm, I think you know the combination of this in separate ways is a nice little package. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the next, the final, and the most probably diverse one to talk about in a sense which is the mercenaries the most arcade certainly uh simply called the mercenaries unlike resident evil 3's uh this is so far and away from resident evil 3's version of the mercenaries that when people talk about the mercenaries this is what i think of i don't think about the weird uh bomb defusal thing from resident evil 3 this is kind of the side game that really carved out that arcadey action just enjoy how good the gameplay is mode and i've kind of made no bones about it in the past talking about resident evil 4 how didn't really click with me originally it wasn't necessarily what i wanted out of a resident evil game but i think you know when we covered the main show in the sort of main bulk of the game for the podcast i probably said that i've warmed to it over the years if i haven't but i'm saying it now you know i've certainly grown to like it more and more um, and that was exemplified by playing Mercenaries again for the first time, really. I, for about, you know, it took me all of, I don't know, 45 minutes to play through all the stages and unlock all the characters, if that. But I <laughs> had so much fun with this. <laughs> uh, Steve, you're a big Mercenaries fan. I'm going to chuck it to you to start with. What do you like about the Mercenaries? Standout stages, standout characters. Let's just have a, a chit chat. This is the like the snack food game moment, isn't it? Like uh, <laughs> my my person, uh, unsurprisingly, Steve is a big fan of the Pueblo Village stage because it's also the easiest, and you feel like a god. Um, <laughs> but no, I think my, my, my favorite is perhaps either that or the castle. Uh, like I, I have a oh, big, hmm. big fun time with the 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 old zealots and the Garadors. Uh, less so than the soldier dudes and the uh, the giant chainsaw man in Waterworld, because Waterworld can do one. It's a fantastically fun stage if it wasn't for the ten foot sack of shit 
Um, yeah. No, no, no. Mercenaries in this form, like, how the hell is this still not a big thing everywhere? Like, we have horde modes in all these third-person shooters. We can't have a score-based attack mode that is just like, you know, five minutes, rip them apart, get a good score, see if you unlock something fun like a new character, a new map. It is like, this is this is exactly the kind of stuff I'm into. Exactly mm-hmm. the, stuff, the stuff I'm into. Like, this is also probably the reason I lost my job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure me smashing mercenaries day after day after day after its release. Um, uh, for, for, for the uninitiated, if somehow you've got this far into the podcast, there is initially one stage and one character with the ability to unlock another four additional characters in three additional stages. And yeah, the goal is to basically get five stars of each character on each stage to unlock a new weapon in the main campaign, the hand cannon, which is busted, broken, honestly, more of a trophy than an actual reward because it breaks the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think you have to get like 60,000 points from doing like consecutive kills and finding like the combo items around the arenas. So and I, I think it's RE5 where they finally give each arena its own like randomized map seed. I think there's only like the, the combo time and the time bonuses are all in set places in RE4 proper. Yes, yeah. So they, they are like four distinct courses, assault courses you can then take your characters with different modes. And it's just amazing fun time. And trying to get a decent score, or you know, I wish this game had online leaderboards to compete against people, some kind of weird way of randomizing it in daily challenges, because I still be mm-hmm. playing it now. It's the reason I still do dailies on Revelations 2 occasionally, just for a bit of variety in it. Um, yeah, if you have any enjoyment out of the base rhythm of the game of shoot things, find items, shoot more things, survive, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, there is a sl- there is one element of randomness to this which I didn't expect, which was cool and does kind of change that, as you so rightly put it, assault course sort of aspect, which is the fact that your spawn point isn't always set. Yeah, and there, there's a few places you can start, so that obviously changes things up. Um, yeah, I've again, I've never really played many of the adjacent modes. I did play a fair bit of raid mode in Revelations 2. That's the closest to, that I've gotten with this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I could have... I got all the stages and all the characters. I didn't get the hand cannon, but I very easily could plug my Wii U back in and keep doing it because, uh, yeah, I had a great time. And you know what? I just, like, might be the greatest compliment for this is that, of all things, Mercenaries made Resident Evil 4 a horror game again for me. <laughs> because it does not relent... Uh, even from the first stage like Steve you're quite right you know you can feel like a god in the Pueblo but if it's your first few times um, you get like three chainsaw sisters dropped in on you pretty early on I was squealing at the game because I was like oh my god I'm under attack I need to go here you know all that kind of talking to myself out loud yeah excellent and even better is that it's not just you know grab a bunch more time keep going get more points uh, the important aspect is you don't necessarily... If you're going for the stars... It's your combo. It's your combo time. You can't it, just... It's, yeah. Absolutely. There's bonus time and there's combo time, uh, which is the most important aspect of get, getting that score up. But it's also making sure you keep that score because if you die, that's it. You don't get to keep your score. It isn't go until you die. It's go until you survive. So there were, there were moments where I was like, I don't want to grab this additional time because I'm pretty close to getting the score I need just to get the you know the four stars to unlock you know the next stage or whatever it was, so it was kind of like a bit of a balance in that sense when I was going for the unlocks, which was <laughs> scary in its own way. 
yeah, it was it was really yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Giant Chainsaw Man can bite it though; he sucks. I hate him. <laughs> can I uh, ask who was your favourite character to use? Um... I don't that I I don't know. It might be. I really can't. I have to spend more time with it. Krauser seems ridiculous, but really fun. Mm, like her, yeah. he's obviously the most out there because he just has a bow and like a instant kill arm. Uh, Hunk was really fun because surprisingly restrictive. You'd think he'd be outfitted with loads of stuff like an RE2's uh, <laughs> Ford Survivor, but he gets one gun, and I was like, that's quite interesting. Mm. Um, Wesker's loadout's hilarious. It's I, just I, I, I do pain. Yeah, it, it's it's fantastic how what sometimes a, a melee move change and a handful of guns being different can do to just mm. add a lot of variety to it. Uh, yeah, and this is what sort of James you were saying about with Ada having a different running speed and stuff. Like all these characters feel different to play from the loadout and the fact the way they move as well, as you say, Steve. I yeah, it's, I've, it's, I'm, 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 I'm getting a bit confused with Chevron and Five, but um, the bow Krauser's bow is like a head height laser sighted. Uh, non-exploding thing, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't explode. It's it, They're just highly powerful, but regular arrows, which mm. is really fun. Yeah, really fun. Yeah. It could be Krauser just because of how wild he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, what is it, like a good 10 meter forward sprint smash? You can kill anything in one go. Yeah, I, I popped <laughs> when that happened, basically. I was like, okay, this is awesome. I get it now. If we ever get um, a new Mercenaries game, please give everyone a super gauge with something crazy like that, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might as well Chris go just punches a boulder downrange, you know. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thoroughly impressed. Obviously, I think I've made that very clear. Um, James, how did you find the Mercenaries? All right, so my experience with it is way back in the day on the Wii. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm going off like real old because um, it's the the best way to play the video game. That's correct. Uh, Resident Evil Four. That's correct. Um, but the thing I do remember is that Hunk is OP because he is a tump. Yeah, and he you can do. Also yeah, just, you love your tump. And he ha- and he he can also just one shot people with his uh, with his melee, his headbutt. Or what was it? It's the neck snap. Head thing. Like, it's the comical yeah. neck snap where the head just like lilts <laughs> backwards and is done. Uh. Yeah. It's like, I remember that being something I just did. I just enjoy doing it. I just like bang, 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 tump, and then crack. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you just put a gif in chat of someone's cracking a neck. It was literally, I was, you know, I felt like a special ops agent, you know? Hmm. It was, it was, it was good, good fun. I don't think I ever got Wesker though. Um, so I don't know what their loadout was like. What was their loadout? <laughs> I mean, he has a Magnum and a handgun, and they're both stupid OP. If both said, of them are stupid OP. I said Wesker is like Ada 2.0 with uh, less speed but extreme melee power and a Magnum. That, okay. That, that's that's okay. his gimmick. Although his grenades it, are less yeah. good. I don't know if it was just maybe the, the brief time I got to spend with Wesker, but it felt like he got way less ammo drop as well, so it felt mm. like it was really important to make it count, but maybe that was just, you know, the brief experience this I had, which was kind of cool. That one punch he's got launches people a good 200 metres and through other people. <laughs> it's so, so it's dumb, funny. I love it. <laughs> I, I, also, I also liked just the default Leon as well, because he has a black tail and a riot gun. Yeah, um, Leon's got a really good setup as well, in all fairness. Yeah. The Doom yeah. Guy approach. Here's a pistol and a shotgun. Go. <laughs> uh, Win. <laughs> uh, it's got that fine game feel as well. Like Every character has their own unique character theme, which 
which is nice. As opposed to, I know yeah. Mercenaries now has its own anthem, but I kind of miss the old uh, Street Fighter esque uh, extra little motifs. I mean, Ada's got what is it, spy star music, and Wesker's got evil scheming bastard music. Uh, for one of better term, you know, it, it, it's, it's cool. It is. Just it's, uh, what makes that even more spectacular is the music wasn't even written for Resident Evil Four. Was it not? Yes. No. no. That music uh, comes from PN. Is it PN03? It's a Capcom GameCube. It was part of the Capcom Five, I think. Wow. Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was written. It's in that game. Game didn't really sell, so they just kind of took the music out of that soundtrack. I'd led, been led to believe that it's just a couple of characters, but I think it's everyone's mercenaries theme. Originally comes from uh, PNO3 or PNO5, whatever it's called. So there you go. There's your uh, on-air resi fact for the day. <laughs> <laughs> in the arms of the angels. <laughs> uh, Jordan, what do you make of the mercenaries? Uh, it is awesome, yep. and I suck at it. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic mode, um, and I. I, I think it's probably the best post-game experience offered within Resident Evil 4, and it's obviously one of the best post-game experiences offered in, in any game. Mm. I mean, it's kind of legacy, not only within Resident Evil, but also outside of it, uh, is stupendous. Uh, and of course, there were efforts that were sort of made before this. Um, it's not like this isn't the first Mercenaries mode, but this is probably the example that comes quickest to mind when associating Resident Evil with Mercenaries yeah. mode. yeah. And what fascinates me about this is that, well, I think that Capcom have done a pretty good job of bringing it back as often as they can. Uh, I'm fascinated by what happened to the rest of the industry when this mode dropped especially, because you could see those ripples. Even if the links were not distinct and open, you could see that there were other games that were being influenced by this kind of style of a score attack mode that, you know, comes out after you've completed the main campaign, then it's more for either you to play or you and your friends to play. I mean, you look at something like Call of Duty, they really ran with it, with their zombies mode. Mm. You look at uh, you look at Gears of War, and its horde mode ended up kind of almost overshadowing the actual main campaign itself. So it goes to show just how great uh, a formula it is. And yet it's so simple in its actual concept. I think what's so great about it is the fact that it really feels like Resident Evil 4 letting its hair down and, you know, just not not necessarily caring about sort of resource management in the kind of way that the main campaign does. This is not about, you know, survival action. This is just action. They, they, they don't even worry about how music might affect your perceptibility of enemies around you. No, they just put on full blast music. They just say, right, go out there. You're playing some pretty powerful characters in some respects. So just have fun with it. Mm. It's not trying to, you know, offer up any kind of crumbs of storytelling. It is just a celebration of your skill and the hours that you have already invested into this game. And I mean, that's the best word that I'd probably use for it is that it is a, it is a celebration and I'm not surprised that subsequent entries, especially with Resident Evil 5, really fleshed this out. They, they really went far with how many characters you could play as and the locations and what actually happens within those locations. And they could still build on this a whole lot more. And I hope that they do continue to keep sort of revisiting it and maybe sort of seeing what other di dimensions they can add to it. But the actual foundation is still solid. It's, it's got a sort of an evergreen appeal um, that is really hard to sort of ignore. It's just one of those things that it's a case of, well, you've played like 20, 30 hours of this campaign. 
you know, here you go. Let's go crazy with this. You know, jump in. You could be playing five minutes. You could be playing five hours. You could be really chasing a score for a long time with this. And yeah, that's its legacy is that it's just pure, pure fun. And as far as my, like, my favorites, um, I think that it has to be Krauser just because the, the insanity of, I mean, he, he comes across as like a character from Predator if, you know, characters in Predator had, uh, you know, big sword arms. Um, <laughs> his bow is very fun. Uh, and while I, I can't necessarily pick out an outright favorite of the, the stages because I guess I like them all really, but like, uh, I just like the fact that they actually sort of made a new stage yeah. with this Waterworld yeah. one. And, uh, it's very distinct and it's really weird when, you know, it's, Blue skies and daylight. It's just like this ain't this ain't Resident Evil Four. What's going on? <laughs> Forget everything you know about grey skies. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that that really sort of stood out. And I mean, is this the first instance of a playable appearance of Wesker? Am I am I wrong in that? I think he it predates, feels like it's a very early instance. He predates uh, Umbrella Chronicles, but the CV technically yeah. had him uh, as a playable character. Yeah. He's, uh, as well. yeah, he's in the battle mode of Code Veronica, but yeah, yeah. It was just, I, at the time. It just I knew it as sort of like at least one of the earliest instances where you could actually mm. play as Wesker. And obviously, as I said before, it's always a plus when they add more Wesker in, especially in all these sort of bonus modes. He sort of like he always has, you know, a, a part to play in each of the modes that we've talked about tonight. At, mm. uh, yeah, especially sort of go crazy with uh, you know Wesker's arsenal. Uh, is a lot of fun. I wish I was a bit better at it. I don't last very long because, yeah, they throw some tough enemies at you uh, very early on. And um, if you end up not necessarily knowing the map well enough, you can end up getting yourself in some corners that you're not getting out of alive. Uh, but that's what's so great about it is that you're always going to end up coming back. Uh, it still feels as fun to play now as it you know did back in 2005, 2006 or so when I first got my hands on it. Yeah, I think it really does say a lot about Capcom's uh, confidence in Resident Evil 4's gameplay shift um, and how much fun they were probably having, you know, playing the game that they were making. That They were like, that's what this game needs. We need to just have a mode where people can just mess around with some crazy, wacky character loadouts and this kind of thing. Because before this point, and I know you can say this about a lot of things in Resident Evil 4, but before this, this really would have been an unthinkable thing. I know RE3 had its mercenaries and they had the loadouts, but it was not. It's nothing like this. This is a, this is next level stuff uh, where it really is. Because RE3 is, you know, it's the same kind of thing every time, I feel like. You know, it's the same route. Whereas this really just has so much... As you say, you can sink hours into it. I mean, in comparison to RE3's version of the Mercenaries, that was more of a difficulty select. Difficulty. <clears throat> that was more of a difficulty select with Mikhail, Carlos, and Nikolai. Yeah, true enough. Yeah. Whereas in this, it literally is more of a, a flavor of mayhem select. Like each one <laughs> brings their own unique madness to the table. Except maybe Lin Leon's probably the most bare bones. He's that you're the one. You're from the campaign. You are. You're the most familiar. You know, you're vanilla man. <laughs> um, yes, I just called Leon Vanilla on podcast. Yeah, you got me. Uh, but no, uh, everyone else in this is a distinct feel to them, and it's that's the big selling point for me. This feels like they're doing a bit of testing in combat, and then they're like, you know what? If we just put a score on this and put loads more of it, it'd be a great mode. What do you reckon, Shinji? <laughs> yeah, go for it. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, it, this, this, this mode was so good that it came across, and, and the following two titles have got its own spin-off that you know, mm. Capcom rather intelligently, Steve puts quotations on intelligently, locks onto the 3DS and doesn't do anything else with. Because if this had been released as its own individual title with a bit more characters and a bit more stages on like the actual main systems with a bit of an online component, people would still be playing it to this day. I was going to say exactly the same thing if there was just a Mercenaries on Steam. Yeah. Uh, it would still be getting all kinds of mods when every new Resident Evil game came out. Some people would be modding, you know, the new versions of characters into it. Even Did if you it see Ethan Super where he doesn't use his face? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, is what exactly. annoys me a bit because I know Village is a fun time and people were like at the time going, yeah, it's got it's got Mercenaries in it and like, this, this is not the Mercenaries. Daddy remembers. <laughs> This is not the mercenaries <laughs> of yesteryear, and I am sad because of it. Well, um, I think it does say about the impact that it's had that mercenaries is back, and they value just the, the name of the mercenaries in order to do something with it. I mean, the um, upcoming so gold edition, yeah, the, uh, the upcoming gold yeah. edition with its different characters and different loadouts will hopefully remedy my feelings on that. Mm. Um, but it's definitely it, it, it can't hold a candle to the OG, and by OG I mean RE4s, not RE3s. Well, I suppose it's interesting then if we'll get it as part of Remake 4. I actually don't know if we will because it feels like it's going to be a much more horror-focused game, but I'll be happy to eat crow on that front. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Steve, I don't think you mentioned your favourite character yet. Everyone else had to. You put me on the spot. Did you? Uh, mine is Hunk, uh, if only for the fear fact that that next snap is so bloody satisfying. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I will happily have fun with any of them except Leon on Waterworld because that is the hardest five stars. Easy. He, yeah, he, I can it, it's all about that chainsaw, Gerardo. It, it scares me. It chases me in my dreams. <laughs> 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 just swinging Leatherface style from across the map and then appearing on me. It's just Trying to go up a ladder and it already teleports yeah. above you. Oh, the, 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 there are some set spawns for it. I'm pretty sure there can be two on the map at a time if you're unlucky. And you yes. can go up a yes, ladder and it's can. just in front of you. And and that's just the... You, you've just lost your entire score, mate. Game over. Uh, <laughs> sad. Yeah, I hope you've got some grenades handy, that kind of thing. Mm. Yes, well... Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprepod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merchandise or at patreon.com forward slash Pod for as little as $1 a month. On our next episode, we head back once more to September 1998 and the fall of Raccoon City with the next episode of Book Club, taking a look at the novelization of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinaiac underscore 123. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. Jordan is at Serialbox64. And James is at Moist Owlet OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week.
Um, okay. I, there, there was definitely a point during the podcast where I'm glad I wasn't talking at the time because um, there were a bunch of because I live there to like you know like a pond or whatever, and there's just like a big battalion of geese that always fly over my house <laughs> and let the whole neighborhood know they're flying over. So I was like, this is like a minute of them just honking like crazy, and I was just, <laughs> I was glad that no questions were being put to me at the time of that podcast. <laughs> So, Jordan, what do you think about hawk, 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 Yeah, okay. okay. There is no animal on Earth that lets its presence known be than the Canadian goose. Oh, they're violent, horrible things. Like, they'll but stay they bloody down love Resident right Evil. <laughs> they, have a, they have a lot of things to say about separate ways. <laughs> oh, dear.